All right. Hope you got some good handshakes in, maybe a couple of hugs. Um, just a couple of things I want to mention. We do have a special speaker this morning. He's very, very special. He wanted me to just make sure you know he's special. Chris Corte. I'll be the not, not that special missionary today. Uh, especially because Jesus loves me. I'll just go with that. Um, you should have invited me with the potluck thing, dude. Let's, let's figure that out, Gene. I like to be invited when there's food after. Um, so my name is Chris. Uh, we are, my wife and I and our team, we're missionaries at St. Cloud State University. How many know where St. Cloud State is? That's super easy. It's nice to preach in central Minnesota. Um, my, my wife and kids didn't come because all my kids have a cold, so we didn't want to share that with you. We like to share Jesus and not all the cold. So, um, But I did bring a picture of them. Uh, so that's Kyle. So um, far to the right here is our son. We're doing mustachio. Oops, that looks like I might make this thing. Should I scoot over a little bit? little feedback action. Um, so that's our son. He's our oldest. We obviously adopted. We're white. He's brown. Um, so he's nine, going to be 10 in three days. Um, the girl that I'm holding is Carlina. She's two and a half. And then Lily's down here on the bottom. She's four. And then uh, Celine is nine. And then I, that's obviously my wife up there. So we adopted Zion and then got pregnant with Celine three weeks later. So they're nine months apart. So they're both nine. Um, so yeah, that's my crew. Um, the next picture is uh, just one of our outreaches on the campus. Um, we, we get, we're a student org on the campus and we get to talk to students about Christ. And so this is one of the opportunities we get. Go ahead with the next picture. Yep, just the picture. So it's 600 student orgs. We hand out ice cream, tell people about Jesus, invite them to our group. Go ahead to the next one. Yeah, so we do a large group. So we do church every week on the campus. Um, we get to. We don't have to set up everything. We just have to do the sound. So, uh, in the theater, this is one of our small group launches. You can see we uh, often get Muslim students and atheist students to come and attend, um, just because the beauty of being at a university is it's all to one. Universitato means everything into one. So, uh, people are coming into the liberal education, going, "Well, I'll look at Christianity. I'll look at Jesus." And these are typically people that would never come to a church. They would never shade the door of a church. Go to the next one. Oh, and then, of course, we have graduation. So I've been to like 20 graduations in the last nine years. Go to the next one. And obviously, I do weddings, all that stuff. College pastor, I do a lot of weddings. So, um, yeah, and so this this is um, some of our, our latest small group leader group. So we do, our vision is 100 small group leaders. And so we do... Every semester, even during the summer semester, we do small group leader training, just like you guys do life groups. Um, so we do it every semester. We have a semester going. We have a training going this semester because really for us, we don't have small groups. We don't have a ministry because they're so transitional. People are coming in and out. We could typically lose um, four to five small group leaders every semester. So we're constantly training. Yeah, this is me hanging out with some of my dudes in the morning, a little coffee and donuts. Uh, we all look disheveled. Uh, we do a large conference with um, the rest of the Great Plains Chi Alpha. So about a thousand students come together uh, in Minneapolis. And so this is the group that we brought this year, like 25 or something so of us. Yeah. So for us, we serve the campus to reconcile students to Christ. That's what we do. 
uh, transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. And our heart is really threefold. One, protect the investment that churches are making, right? The churches are making investment into youth, and we want to protect that investment. Um, but we also seek to save the lost, those that don't know Jesus, that weren't trained and reared, didn't have spiritual parents. Um, and then lastly, discipleship. And that's really my heart, discipling um, those that are in Christ to, to then reach more people because disciples make disciples, make disciples. It's really Jesus' philosophy. We'll read about that in a second. But the statistic, the only statistic I'm going to leave with you is this. It's 24% of people find Christ after the age 24. It's just 24. So after, so majority of people will find Christ before they come and graduate from our, our universities. And so we kind of look at it like we're the last opportunity for a lot of these kids. One, they won't go into a church. They won't go uh, check out churches. And so for, for them to come to us, it, it's a big deal. It's a huge responsibility that we have. And so we don't take it lightly, and we work really hard. Um, if you want to pray for us, too, we, everything on my table is for free. Um, but here's our – I was going to give that one to somebody, but you don't have to. Um, but this is our prayer card. You know, some people put it on a magnet. Some people um, put it in their bathroom and pray for us while they're brushing their teeth. That's fine, too. Um, I don't mind being in the mirror in your bathroom. It's not weird for me. It was weird the first time. It's not weird anymore. Uh, do you. Do your thing. Um, but yeah, so there's Lifesavers because we're Lifesavers in Christ. And then there's also, um, you can sign up for a newsletter and an email on the table if you'd like. Uh, lastly, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Mark 1, 16. And if you'd allow me to, I just want to pray. Um, I just want to pray for us uh, as we start. Lord, we just thank you for this church. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, proclaim your gospel in this school. Uh, Lord, it is so fitting to have a, a cross. It's so fitting for, for me to be here um, speaking in a school because that's what I do for a living. And so, Lord, we just uh, pray a blessing on this church. We pray a blessing on this school, Lord, that your light would shine bright. Lord, that your impact in this campus, on this, this specific school campus, God would be um, amazing because of this church meeting in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you want me to move? Do you guys hear that? <laughs> Sorry about that. It's like feeding bag or something. Um, so we're in a community, right? And we're all together. And I believe that we're all chosen to be God's workers. Um, and as we read in, in Mark 1, these guys were specifically chosen, right? In their day, and I'm going to give a little context before we, we read the Scripture, but in their day, everybody went to the Talmud, right? Every, everybody went and was trained in the Talmud, which is the same place that rabbis are trained. And if you went back to work in your dad's business, you weren't chosen. You weren't chosen to be a follower of a rabbi. You were sent back, essentially discarded. But these guys, and so these guys went back working with their dads, and Jesus went and called them, right? And so I want to give a little bit more context right before he calls them. So Jesus, so John the Baptist is preaching, Dude gets goes to jail. He's in jail right now. Jesus just got baptized. The Holy Spirit fell upon him. And then, then Jesus goes to Galilee to preach. 
And then that's where we pick up this story right here in Mark 1.16. It says, As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And as a rabbi, Jesus says, Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. little context, look at that. So they weren't chosen by the rabbis at the Talmud school, but Jesus, the rabbi, chose them. They're like, dude, I'm in. I'm, I'm done. I mean, they were gone. They were just running. Um, fish stink anyway. But I like to fish, but I would have ran from that job too. But then he went a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother John on the boat preparing the nets. And without delay, he called them too. Right? If a rabbi calls you, man, you run to that rabbi to become a part of his group, to be a disciple. And without delay, he called them and left their Father Zebedee in the boat. Poor, but those two dads lost some workers that day. An illustration about flippancy, right? Photos of my wedding, right? My wedding when I got married to my wife. I know exactly where they are. The CD, it's in a locked, fireproof safe in my office, right? We got some prints, but I have those things treasured, right? And I never mistreat them. Never. But we carefully place them somewhere. We put them in fireplace, and we're concerned about them, right? Sometimes we can treat things with flippancy that are dear and important to someone else. Just because something's important to you does not mean it's important necessarily to someone else. Sometimes we in Christendom and the Christian church, we treat things with flippancy that are very dear to God, to Jesus and His Son. And I think the thing that's that's important to Jesus' people. So you and I often treat with flippancy the things that are very dear to God. We let people float in and out of our life, don't we? People come in and out of our life and we just let them float. And we treat it with flippancy, these people. But what means so much to Jesus, what He was willing to give His precious blood on the cross for, what was worth more than all the world, we treat with flippancy. Part of my testimony is being fought for. So our simple, the simplest part of our mission is we find people, we feed them, and we fight for them. Find, feed, and fight. It's pretty simple. But part of my testimony of being fought for, who, who in here likes to be fought for, right? It's good. We're thankful that the military fights for us so we can have our freedoms. But just people fighting for us, right? If we're in a marital relationship, it's great to have a spouse or neighbors or people in our life for a church that fights for us, right? Jesus spoke to me um, through my drinking buddies. I was in the military for 12 years, and we were, we, were, we were drunk military guys. We'll just leave it at that. But one of the guys like, hey, my brother's planting a church, right? Just like this. It's kind of crazy. But I, I literally started out in a church like this, um, very similar to this. It's called River Valley Church in Apple Valley. But we started out just like this. Um, and he's like, hey, man, I'm planting a church. you want to come help? And I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'll totally come help. I'm just hungover on Sundays. No big deal. So I would literally come and help load the church in just like we did this morning. Um, but I used to be flippant with my life and others all the time. My drinking, all of my habits in my life. I was toxic, right, because I didn't have Jesus. But Jesus, just like them, Jesus said, come to me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
Jesus is calling all of us to that. But we're here specifically to reach the campus. But we're here to do way beyond that. For the rest of our lives, I want my students to be a small group leader into the nursing home. right? I want us all to be small group leaders into our nursing home. And we want to become a part of the kingdom of God, ever reaching more people for the rest of our life. Really, I just don't want my kids, to, the students to get saved and be like, oh, good jobby. That's just the beginning. We, we want people, we want disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? That's Jesus' math. And we wouldn't be here today in this church if it wasn't for fathers and mothers and brothers in faith, right? None of us would be here. And so today I want to make a di- distinction between the message and the method of Jesus. And how many have heard that before? The method and the message. Okay, good, perfect. It's the message of Jesus will never change, but sometimes the method would change a little bit. And how many of you believe Jesus was smart? He was very strategic and deliberate about when and where he went and who he went there with. We need to not only look at who Jesus was and what he did, but also what he did. And let's pay attention to this methodology. Jesus had great compassion for the multitudes. Great compassion. Jesus ministered to them. He healed them. He loved them. He fed them. He wept over them. But he never called the multitudes. He never went looking for multitudes. He spent most of his time with his disciples. Those dudes that he pulled off the beach. He spent most of his time And when you study the Gospels, especially the last half of his ministry, Jesus spent the bulk of his time with those 12 disciples. 12 people. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. We got more than a disciple pack here. But he spent all his time with them. The methodology of Jesus is small group ministry. And we we were talking about it earlier. There's a table out there. You should totally get involved. But his method was small group ministry. He was making an investment of people who he would leave his church with that would impact all of us up until 2000. I mean, it's been 2,000 years and we're still talking about him where people are still being impacted. Twelve people. He didn't ignore the crowd, but his priority was a small group. His small group, he was making investment of people who he'd leave the church with but my missiology allows, I allow for great numbers, right? There are evangelist pastors that are leading 1,000 people um, to commit their lives to Christ all the time in large gatherings. But for us on the campus, focusing on training our disciples is what we do. And so I just want to contrast these two methods, and I'll need that slide. Um, I just want to contrast these two methods in math because I think for some of us, we feel like we we don't have what it takes to reach a lot of people, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break dispel that lie for you right now. So there's two groups, right? We have the super evangelist that leads a thousand people to Christ every day, every day, a thousand a day, and then we just have a faithful discipler. I would say all of us, the twenty of us, are faithful disciplers. We could be faithful disciplers. It's very practical. We could be a small group leader. Um. But we look at this. So in the first year, right? So if I, as a, so my, as, a, as a pastor, my thing is like one small group leader and five members. Just that simple, right? 
and then hopefully those five members would then get their own small group and five, five, five more members, right? And so here's the math, right? The super evangelist leading 1,000 people a day, every day, for a year. 365,000 in that first year. Faithful discipler, just like you and I. Just five people. Year two, year three, year four, and then you start to see it turn over on year nine. This is where the math starts to get real. Is still the faith. I mean, you think about an evangelist leading a thousand people. That's crazy, right? That's just crazy. But it's not discipleship. This is discipleship. This is a thousand people a day for nine years, right? That's a lot of people. But this is what the disciples done because they took five people into their house, loved them like no one else has, and then they found five more. Faithful discipleship annihilates super evangelism in year 10. Annihilates it. And it's practical, church. It's practical for us to meet with five people. Right? And, and for me, I don't need it. You don't need a, a college degree in... Um, you don't need a college degree in ministry. You don't need to be a reverend. You don't need to have a four-year degree. You don't need to do that. You just need to be an average dude or chick. You guys say chick up here? I say chick. You just need to be an average person. For me, our students, it's about saved about a year. Don't know the Bible all that well. Scared to speak in front of people. Don't feel called to preach. Don't really want to preach. But there's a fire in their bones because it's just not right that people don't know about Jesus. It's just not right. And you want to pour your heart and your life out in somebody's life. And five people annihilate super evangelism. Annihilates it. And it's practical. It's easy. Gene wants you to do it. I guarantee it. But you just want to teach some people how to walk with Jesus every week. You just want to pour your life. It's like being a big brother or a big sister. It's like pouring your life in them, just like if Jesus was right there. Just pouring your life, giving everything that you got to them. It's like, dude, you can do this, man. And this isn't a college degree. This is just a fire inside of you. And you can see the math is good. It's good math, church. Two distinct methodologies. And I thought Jesus was smart, but I was like, man, you're the best small group leader in the whole world. You know? But he deliberately chose to spend his time in a small group more than the masses of people. The method of Jesus is small group discipleship. For some reason, a lot of churches have forgotten this ancient proven method. And this isn't the plan B. This is the plan A. Right? We gather here. We come. We fulfill in the vision. But we go out to small group. We find those five people. And we pour our life into them. For us on the campus, so many people didn't have parents that reared them that didn't spiritually invite them into the gospel and help them understand. And so I'm kind of like a lot of people's dad. Um, but I'm teaching them how to be a small group leader. 
because they realize that this math is good and that we can change the world five people at a time. Advantages of this, too, are it's more personal intimacy. You spend more time with people. You're more accountable. You have a responsibility. That's why we do it. Another big part is retention. Retention in faith, for me, is important, right? I want everyone to to go into the nursing home leading a small group. It's like, hey, let's have a small group. I even get students that graduate out, and they're like, pastor, be like, I miss Chi Alpha. I'm like, hey, remember your small group? Yeah, it was so great. I was like, do it again. Do it where you are. Oh, yeah, I I could do that. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. That was the whole plan. That was the plan. Anyway, that was the plan. You know, I I feel like I say this every week. Um, But it's like, just get five faithful people like you and, and, and have a small group. Because the retention of mass evangelism is 10%. The retention of faithful discipleship, 70 to 80%. Math is good. In the faithful discipleship method, people of God are actually maturing. This is the thing is Bible literacy needs to increase. Maturity in your faith walk needs to increase. And I think it's Jesus' desire and, and, and intention for us not to just be sheep, but just to be shepherds. To learn to shepherd other, other people, even if we don't feel qualified. To learn to, to move from a, a sheep to the shepherd so that we could watch some more sheep. And this is what we're doing. When you come to Chi Alpha, man, this is what you're signing up for. I shoot this at you like missiles every day. Like, why aren't you in a small group? Who small group are you in? What small group are you in? I know everybody, and I know everybody, what small group they're in and who their small group leader is. And if they're not in a small group, I find out why. And I'm going to figure it out. Because it's so important, right? For all of these years, Jesus has had this plan and it's already written for us right here. But for us, finding, feeding, and fighting for the lambs of God. But there's one principle I didn't mention that the whole model breaks down. This whole thing breaks down. If one disciple, if you become a disciple but then you don't make a disciple. If you become one, right? You become a disciple of God, but then you don't make another disciple and another disciple. Because I believe if you're a truly disciple of the one true God, you can't help but disciple others. It just comes out of you. Like if you hang out with me, I'll just, I'll just start discipling you, just how I am. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I'm just like, hey, how's your, how you doing, man? How, how's your, how are you reading your word? Are you faithful? What, how can I pray for you right now? And it's just like Timothy, right? 2 Timothy 2.2 says, and, and, and this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable other people who will also be qualified to teach others. Take, take this stuff that I've given you and give it to somebody else. And again, and again it's like basketball. I don't, even know, I don't even play basketball, but I'm, I think that's what you do. You, you pass the ball, right? You take the things that, that God has given you and you give them to somebody else. And they give them to somebody else. Lineage 
and passing on family names is so important. And you're here because someone poured into you or someone invited you here. Or you drove by and saw the cool signs outside. But my question to you, is your Christianity going to end with you? And your question to yourself is, is, am I going to let the spiritual lineage die with me? Abraham, right? He said, God, you've given me everything. You've been very good to me, but the one thing I lack is a son. Right? The man had everything. All the money, all the everything, and he's just like, but I have no lineage. I have nobody passing on my name. Would you give me a son? The one thing that matters in the whole world. God, right? Abraham, look at the sky. Can you count them? This is the number of your descendants. And this is what we need to think about when we think about who we're investing in and who we're discipling. And then he says, the grains of the sand. Can you count the grains of the sand? No way, I can't do that. He said, this is the number of sons and daughters in spiritual faith that you'll have. That's a big deal. And for me, when I challenge churches, I said, if you want to make your life count, disciple. Disciple people. And you say this simple prayer, God, give me a little brother or sister in the faith. Give me someone who I can pour my life and my heart into. See, for us, when I look at, I call it transgenerational discipleship, and we're transformational disciplers too. So, But I look at when we started there eight years ago, or nine, nine years ago. This will be our 10th semester in St. Cloud State. But I wrote down these names, so I discipled this one boy. His name was Jared. He had five others. And then the next was Jesse Molesky. He was one of the guys in that small group. And then another guy, so in Jesse's small group was Tanner. Tanner Eidsvog. And then in Tanner's small group was Sam. And then in Sam's small, small group up to today is Gabe. And every single one of these guys are here because I discipled Jared. I discipled Jared. Jared discipled Jesse. Jesse discipled Tanner. Tanner, you get where I'm doing. And because of my investment in Jared, this is going to continue on. And this is just one, one student. You know, these guys were going nowhere fast. Tanner was in the frat. Jesse was just crazy. Sam actually came from California. And Gabe had no life mission. But this is our conviction at St. Cloud State. You don't need a big microphone. You don't need a stage. You don't need thousands of people. You need five people. And love them like no one ever has. You be the best big brother and big sister they've ever had. Win them to Jesus and then teach them to do the same. And you'll change the world. This is Jesus. He's a I'm just talking about what he's done. He was the best small group leader that ever existed. And this is what we're about. And this is who we are. 
And this is the methodology of Jesus. And this is our calling. And your life will never be the same either. You can't. You can't invest in people's lives and not have your own life changed. And the last thing is, is um, fighting for people. Do you let just anyone watch your kids? Just rando. I, do, I usually do go to the mall and pick up a couple people and just be like, we're going to go on a date and so you can. No, I don't do that. No, no one does that. But we have a tendency to treat the things of God with flippancy, right? Do you let people go in and out of your life? Sometimes we set up our church and we say, man, if you drive by the sign, we just hope, God, that you're going to come. If they, if they want to come, they'll come. Do you know that 85% of people that come to church come because they're invited? 85% of people. But we need to pay attention to how the Lord sees people. And this is what we need to say in our heart to the people that need to come to our church. It should be a little bit more like this. It should be like, for better or for worse, for richer and in poorer, in sickness and in health, till death to his part, you're going to go to the bridge church over my dead body. And I'm going to fight for you. You matter to me. I'm inviting you to come to this church because you matter to me. I love you. But I'm going to fight for you. There's something that happens when we talk to people like that. But like, I believe in you. Come into my church and find the love of Jesus. I'm going to fight for you. And they'll be like, <laughs> really? Okay. It's kind of awkward, but I kind of like it. Awkward and, you know, it's kind of both of them. I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to until you serve God and then you're going to have a beautiful life. And when you don't show up, I'm going to go looking for you. And I'm going to come and find you and invite you to my church again until you come. And I might even drag you to church. And I'm going to drag you to my small group leader meetings. And I'm going to fight for you and you're going to live to you're going to live with Jesus till death do us part. I had people do this for me. I stand here today because people fought for me. When I wasn't really fight worthy. I I I wasn't the greatest example. I wasn't worthy of much, but they fought for me. Jesus is fighting for everyone and we need to have a little bit more fight in us for others. And I don't think there's any greater compliment that God could give us than to entrust us with people in this community in Rice and say, these people are yours, man. We planted a church here. It's like, you're going to fight for them? Because they're worthy to be fought for. They're the same people that we were before we got saved. And I don't want us to treat people with flippancy any longer. We're not going to discard them. We're not going to say, show up if you want. It's cool. We're going to go after them. We're going to invite them because we want to fight for people. We're going to love them like they've never been loved before. And we're going to be the best big brothers and sisters they've ever had in their whole life. 
We're going to find, feed, and fight for the lambs of God because he's entrusted all of us with somebody's future and their eternity. And that's a big deal. I'm going to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think he's kind of a smart guy. See, it may be possible, and this is C.S. Lewis speaking, it may be possible for each to think too much about their own potential glory hereafter. But it's hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of their neighbor. The load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. Is it, in, it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with awe and circumspection to proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one, of no, one another, all of our friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Because, friends, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor, the people in rice, they are the holiest object presented to your senses. I want to challenge us today. If you're feeling a sense that God is is moving or you think of somebody that maybe you should be inviting to church, I just want you to stand up. I want us to stand in this place and we're going to pray for them together Maybe there's someone that you you should have been fighting for and you haven't fought for. And if that's you, just stand up. And I want us to do this together. I want us to pray a prayer in our hearts and our life that we're not going to let people walk in and out of our lives any longer. And maybe God's inspiring your heart for five, just five people, to start a small group, to become a discipler of other people and and if you'd be okay with it, I'd just love to pray for the church. I'd just love to pray uh, for you guys as we, as, we, as we close the service. Jesus, we just thank you, God, that you can inspire our hearts to discipleship. Lord, we love you so much, and we want to reach the hearts of people. God, that they would be matured in your faith. God, that they'd become disciples. But Lord, maybe for some of us, we need to become a disciple. We need to feel qualified. And Lord, I just pray uh, for this church, I pray for that qualification to fall on their hearts. God, a validation, God, that the one true king can validate anyone, can make a disciple out of anyone. And I pray, God, Lord, as we do this on the campus, and, and I pray that this, this happens here, Lord, that we'll just change the kingdom of heaven. And, Lord, this is all for your glory. We're here to serve you. We're here to be here with you. But, Lord, I pray that your love would be deep in our hearts, and, Lord, that we could change the communities that we're a part of. 